0: You're listening to Errol Parker and Clancy Overall Editors of the Batuta Advocate On Desert Rock FM Well, it is a new day in Batuta It's morning again in Australia The federal election is over And we are so, so very happy to see the back of it To celebrate that Today we are treating ourselves by uh, not interviewing a politician or a political staff or anyone else who works in the swamp that is Canberra. Never again. You know, it's good that the Diamantina River is in minor flood. The country's coming back to life, much like the country. Yeah, absolutely. It's just such a relief. We did fucking eight back-to-back interviews with MPs and candidates and preference whisperers and all those kind of fucking losers. And it's all done. It's a great relief. We can move on. The news cycle is changing. And today, we are interviewing an icon a titan of Australian music, someone who can, um, you know, bring us into this new morning with a bit of hope and a bit of music. Thank you for joining us, Ben Gillies. Yeah, thank you for having me. That's what I bring, hope and music. Absolutely. And um, you've been uh, kind of doing that for quite a while. You, From the very start, when you guys were 12 years old in Silverchair, I think that's the yarn, isn't it? That's when we started, yeah. That's when we formed the band. That was actually a G up by me because I was making a joke about how everyone always says you were so young. You were actually twelve.
1: We were actually twelve. You, I thought. <laughs> yeah. I was like, oh, he's, he's done his research.
0: Oh. Yeah. No, I was. Okay. Uh, I was um, still
2: being told to go to bed by Prime Possum at that age. I yeah.
1: Uh, not Big Dog. Prime no. Possum. No,
0: Prime Possum. Okay. Yep.
1: Do you hear a Big Dog? You know Big Dog? Mhm. That's yeah, more of a Hunter good. region. Yeah. Uh, TV it's North Coast. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Okay, well, that is very interesting that what was a joke turned out to be a fact. 12-year-old uh, thrashing around in a garage in the Steel City. Yui, yep. And strength to strength to strength from there. All the boys have gone you know, different ways. Chris has gone into pubs. Daniel's gone into production land and lending his talents to different people here and there. Yep. Also done a podcast recently. I really enjoyed that one, learning about you guys top to bottom. And yourself, you've been making music. Yeah, that's what I like to do. Back on the ground with a solo
1: single. Yeah, so I guess uh, over the last couple of years, I've just been trickling out uh, some singles. It's good. It, it doesn't feel like you have the pressure of doing a, a full album. Mm-hmm. I like singles. They're good. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, and just I guess I've got a new single out and I've got plans to do more singles and mm-hmm. then hopefully an EP and hopefully a record next year.
0: Oh, okay. So I want to ask now, Ben, sounds like you've got a lot going on. Plans for an EP and a tour. You've got six-month-old twins at home as well. Yeah. How has uh, fatherhood shaped your uh, output? I haven't done much in the last few months. <laughs> Actually, no, well, like, they do me... say that the first
2: 12 weeks is the hardest.
1: The first six weeks. Yeah, the first six weeks to me were just hell. <laughs> they were really punishing. But you know what? Uh, have you guys got kids?
0: No, no, no. Um. Well, estranged, yes. <laughs> right, right, right. Is that true? Well, you know, they live with their... Respective mothers in different parts of the country. But yeah, n- never really there for the early childhood, myself. Explain that to us.
1: It's everything that everyone tells you about kids and mm-hmm. being parent is true. Mm-hmm. Like it's the most amazing thing that you'll ever do. And you love those humans more than... You, know, you just can't mm-hmm. love anyone mm-hmm. like you love them. Mm-hmm. But no sleep... Yeah, even more than a pet. Even more even more than a little kitten or a or a dog. Or yep. a dog, okay. dog. yeah, or a puppy dog. That's good. But yeah, look, it's it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It's a ama- lot of work, but it really it's really rewarding. And when you you know, this morning before I came down to see you guys, you know, I gave my boys a you know, kiss and a cuddle before I left and you just go, Oh, it just makes you feel so good.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Loud noise. Mm-hmm. Not really good with um six-month-old twins that you're trying to keep asleep at the same time. You adapt. Yeah. That's what you do. So say I, I like to play a bit of piano when I write.
1: Mm-hmm. So you just pop one on your lap and mm-hmm. you just play away. And, and you, you get more of like windows in time. So usually, say if you get home from work and you want to watch a series, you know, you know you've know you got a couple of hours up your sleeve, you've yep. a couple of episodes. Mm-hmm. Now it's more like I've got a 40-minute window. Mm-hmm. What can I achieve in that 40 minutes? What's the most important thing that I have to get yep. done? So yeah, it's just lots of those through, and for, you know, it's not always forty. You can get five, yep. you can get ten, whatever it is. You just make the best of it. Can
0: you tell us what you're playing nowadays? You know, when you're doing your stuff solo.
2: Yeah, because there's a lot of people who think that a drum solo album would just be would like be. a forty-minute cover of John Henry Bottoms, maybe Dick. Yeah, really.
1: You do all your favorite tracks as like just <laughs> the drums, a,
2: yeah. <laughs> a Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells
1: type, <laughs> type thing. <laughs> type thing. Yeah. yeah, I like to write on piano, mm-hmm. just because um, I do find like a lot of people write the best music on the instruments that they're not the most familiar with, mm-hmm. because you're not trained, you're not like oh I can't do that. You just so I get on the piano. I kind of have a rough idea of you know chord structures, but I, I don't know enough that I can just muff my way around and, like, what sounds good is... and what I like, mm-hmm. i just go with that. Yeah. Mm. You know?
2: Yeah, I think, um, you know, I heard this bloke in a bar tell me that Paul Kelly originally wrote How to Make Gravy on a Theremin. So I guess that uh, story checks out, Ben.
1: Yeah, it checks out. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty confident it checks out. Yeah, you know.
0: I want to ask for you particularly, but also for the band, yeah. when did you guys become musicians? Because... You were rockers, you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think if you're starting a band at 12 years old, you haven't come out of the con. You aren't musicians at that point. You're kids with guitars and, yeah, and yeah. drums.
1: It's pretty raw, yeah. yeah.
0: When did you become people who make music as opposed to people who just belt it out?
1: Well, the history of it, I started playing drums at eight Yep. and I was getting lessons and played in the school band and I played actually played in the Marching Koalas in yep. Newcastle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite fun. Um, and Dan and Chris... I remember them, they were playing trumpet in the school band. Okay. Yeah, so we weren't very trained, I guess, when we formed the band mm-hmm. at, 12, at 12. And, you know, we'd grown up. Yeah, we, we definitely hadn't been to the con and we mm-hmm. didn't, you know, study Mozart or anything like that. We were just like listening to Led Zeppelin. And mm-hmm. I think everyone has an ownership over a certain, you know, movement in music. And for us, it was grunge in mm-hmm. the 90s. Yeah. You know, that felt like ours. Mm-hmm. So between the two, that for us, it was just, it was rock and roll.
0: Yeah. And there's another question we ask people that come in here, um, and it's really funny because an example I'll give you right now actually involves you. We like to ask our guests, what point did you know that you'd made the big time? And the example we give is we had Mikey Robbins in here, famous Newcastle comedian of Good Newsweek fame, um, and we asked him that, when did you realise that you'd made the big time? Did you go back home and someone would say to you at the pub, oh, jeez, you've done well for yourself, or something like that? He said... The moment I thought I'd made the big time, I was immediately humbled because he was asked to speak at Newcastle High. and um, He said, oh, well, I've made the big time then. My school wants me to come back. And then he said he got on stage and was talking about, you know, when your kids leave and, you know, bloody Sydney and, you know. And then he looked down and he said a good chunk of silver chair was sitting in front of him. And you guys had uh, obviously already overshadowed him and were still students at school. (laughs) That's hilarious. <laughs> he was immediately humbled. It's what do you like, say? <laughs> I can't say anything to you guys. <laughs> yeah, I'm you know, just, just
2: like, what the fuck am I doing here? Yeah, 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 Ask
0: him. Yeah, get these boys on stage <laughs> to tell everyone about
2: yeah. making it. Yeah, <laughs> When you guys go to King's Cross, it'll blow your minds. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know? But when did it feel like it was happening for you guys?
1: For me, it felt like there was definitely a shift. We won a competition called Nomad through SBS. And the prize of that was to shoot a music video and record the song, which was tomorrow at Triple J, the studios, well, the ABC studios, mm-hmm. the Triple J studios. And then Triple J grabbed that and started playing it. But once that single was released, like you could feel this groundswell, You could feel mm-hmm. something was happening, but it wasn't until the single was released. And I think it'd been like three or four weeks at number one. And that's when you just kind of go like, at first, like the first week at number one is pretty wild. you know. <laughs> but when it was like three or four weeks, and I think it maxed out to like seven weeks at number one. And that's when we're there going like, this is just crazy. Like mm. what the hell is going on? But that's when it felt like, you know, there was just this huge tidal wave on the horizon that was, actually no, the
0: tidal wave had already hit us. It sounds like when you're that young and you're, you know, number one for seven weeks, it kind of happens so fast that, it's not like your traditional band where, oh, there's a bit of a buzz around these guys in really cool circles for about a year or two. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. That, that, yeah, like- that doesn't happen with 14-year-olds. You're not even yeah, old enough no. to get into the
2: pub yet. Well, it was like, I guess, probably the pubs around... Carrington, when the screaming jets were coming through, yeah, you yeah. Know, all the wharfies and dockies are like, Oh, have you seen this human pressure
0: washer, Dave Gleason? You know, he just,
2: he's, he's an absolute pocket rocker.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah. it's it, you guys missed him. love all Dave Gleason, yeah, yeah. No, no we had, had Gleason in here as well. He, he actually called you guys Nirvanas in pajamas, which I'm sure you've heard before. <laughs> oh my gosh, I wish I had a comeback to that. <laughs> yeah, it was showing off. Um, but tell us, uh, you know, you weren't long out of your pajamas. You missed all that. Like it was. I
1: think I was probably still wearing pajamas at twelve, <laughs> uh, at fourteen, yeah. maybe. Yeah. You know, yeah. um,
0: but you didn't have that like orthodox kind of um, moment. We that rise where it's kind of like, you know, when you hear a band that ends up going number one in Australia, there's people that have known about them for a couple of years. Yeah, and totally. it starts off with the coolest of the cool, and then it becomes yeah. their mates, and then more yeah. and more and more. Or they're just from Perth, and then yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> or, or they're just like you know your mate's cousin from Perth. But um, you guys were just dropped straight into the fucking fire, I guess.
1: Can I, can I just say, we did play the Jolly Roger. Do you oh, remember yeah. the Jolly Roger? In you, I mean, you mentioned Carrington. Like, yeah, there's going to yeah, be people yeah. listening to this that have no idea what
0: you're talking <laughs> yeah, 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 about. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. The Jolly Roger. So was that, you did play a pub gig?
1: Yeah, we played a few pub gigs. Um, I guess it was really hard because we were so young. Mm. So we generally had to go to the pubs and wait in the band rooms and be chaperoned by a parent. Yeah. Right. And um, one of the funniest things about that was I remember some of the graffiti in the band rooms and they were all really, some really obscene stuff that at the time you are looking at it going like, oh, I don't really understand why are the leg's there. Yeah. Like I don't understand the angle. Why
0: did they put their <laughs> phone number there? Yeah.
1: <laughs> but years later, yeah. like you know, the penny drops and you go, "Okay, yeah, I get it." Really funny. Well done, guys.
0: <laughs> you really were young, because um, I you, you do remember that moment when you're 14 years old and you go to your first truck stop. I remember it when you see Jesus Christ, these people are animals. What are they riding on <laughs> yeah. the fuck? What does it all mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tell us. Seven weeks at number one. Is at this point do your parents all have a meeting? Like, what goes yeah. from there? It's obviously not like you guys are going to pack your bag and say, see you later, mum and dad, and head on the road. And yeah, I, I, yeah. I do know that you guys did have a lot of, um, you know, your parents were involved and, were, and actually were quite careful, not so protective, but, you know, chaperoning yeah. you for one.
1: Yeah, they were pretty heavily involved and... I think they needed to be because ultimately, at 14 years old, or even 15 or 16, like yeah. you're just a kid. Yeah. yeah. You're still f- you're figuring out your, you know, your nether region. Yeah, yeah. Our parents definitely all got together. Like everyone had to work together. Mm. Like there was no single person kind of ruling the roost. You know, you get your first record contract, and that was a big thing for us. We'd mm. always talk about getting a record contract, we were obsessed with it for some reason. <laughs> but when it actually happened, there's just terminology in there. There's no way that yeah. we'd understand it. So yeah. they had they had to be involved.
2: Well, it isn't like you can turn around and say to your parents, "Look, could I get four lime green Porsche's?" <laughs> with this and they're like, "No, not yet anyway." <laughs> yeah.
1: That would have been a great idea. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that age, Is that it-
1: four each? You <laughs> yeah. So, yeah,
2: it's like, "Oh, so what are you going to do with them?" It's like I'm going to look at it. These guys would have Out been... of my bedroom window. It's like, like every, other, every other kid has a poster, but I've got one in the driveway that, yeah, my dad four takes, of them. that my dad takes me around
0: the block in if I've been good, you know. No, these guys would have been looking more at the lime green poison ivy SS utes, I reckon. That are...
1: <laughs> yeah, from Newey, yeah. yeah. So it's definitely a Holden ute. Yeah.
0: And then I kind of want to talk about, on the back of all that, we interviewed the boys from a pop band, Five Seconds of Summer. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And... um. Exactly what you're saying about the contracts, you know. Your parents are looking over this, thank goodness. Because these guys are telling us that yeah. they were nearing on their fourth album, right? Yeah.
2: And they just done five back to back shows at
0: Wembley with completely you know, opening like- for for maybe one direction or something like that. Yeah. And we're going, So what's the plan for you guys? And I can't we can't overstate how popular these guys. Are. Like there's a little bit of Beatlemania around these guys. Certainly some countries I go to there's girls screaming at airports. Right. And one of these guys goes, Oh, I'd love to buy my mother a house I go, Huh? What, what <laughs>
2: contract did you sign, son? <laughs> I can find out the contract <laughs> no.
0: like, uh, okay. And those were guys kind of got plucked off stage at the Annandale Hotel and all of a sudden they're... Excited by the flights and the you know the hotels yeah. they're staying in, they don't really realise they're paying for all of this,
1: right? You know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, yeah.
0: Um, It's like yeah, and I was we, like, okay, we we'll, can have anything in our rider, and, we, and you sign a four-hour like, yeah, contract so for was, it, fuck yeah. me, you know,
1: yeah, because uh, like our parents were all quite conservative. Like yeah. my dad was a plumber for fifty-five years, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and Dan's dad was a fruto. Chris's parents were um, dry cleaners, like. Yeah. Pretty modest, kind of small business. Yes, yeah, yeah, and I don't. They didn't really know what they were looking at either. Yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you can get advice from lawyers and stuff, but like they can read it, but mm. they really don't know
0: what they're dealing with. Yeah. Did you sign a multiple album contract or anything like that?
1: I think the first deal was for three records. Yeah.
0: Right. Yeah. And then we got to, I mean, Australia got to see you guys like develop and mature not so much mature, because you obviously had what it took at that age, Mm -hmm. but they got to see you develop and the music, you know, kind of change, and everyone got to be part of that journey. Yeah. When was it, when it was
1: finally the kids are in charge of the asylum. I actually felt like what our parents did was as we approached 18, rather than letting the reins out a little bit, yeah. they were just like, you know, they had them on tight. Yeah. So when we were approaching 18, we were like, oh, it's coming. <laughs> yeah. Like, we are <laughs> off. Yeah. And as soon as I remember there was, I think it was a, maybe a freak show to and like what our manager called it like schools out or something like or it was something like that, <laughs> <laughs> and um, I remember just going up the the north coast of New South Wales and Queensland and just going crazy like yeah. you know because our parents weren't there. But if our parents let out the reins a little bit, yeah. you know, we would have been more likely to go back and say, "Hey, Mum, Dad, you know, we're going out for a few months. You want to just come and hang out for a week?" Yeah, yeah. But because they were so strict on us, it was just like nah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. See right. ya and to be fair they were probably tightening the reins at the most important time to be doing that because they were looking at that same death block as (laughs) you like they were looking at well maybe these guys do enjoy a schooner and uh, (laughs) maybe it's going to be legal for them to do that every single night of their lives on tour uh, soon and I mean I mean, how maybe old they're you- going to have a gap year. Yeah, school. How old were you when you first took it overseas? Were you opening at that point, or did you guys? I think
1: go- we, I think it was it was international pretty
0: instantly. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, yeah. We're not having a traditional kind of, uh, you know. Everything we've talking about so far has happened within eighteen months. You know what Pretty I mean? Much. It's like yeah, seven yeah. weeks at number one off triple J, straight to overseas. Yeah. yeah. It
1: was it was a wild <laughs> ride. I mean, I remember we like we'd never done any touring and we basically went from, yeah, zero touring to like touring. Like not mucking around. Like you're doing like four or five shows a week. So we were chucked in the deep end and it was it was I mean we were lucky that we were just we're a good band. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if we weren't good enough to pull it off, like, we just wouldn't have survived. Yeah. So, you know, we were chucked in the deep end and we kind of we managed to swim. So we did all right. Yeah. We yeah. got away with it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, certainly. And certainly it kept going well past the timeline of your average band. Someone was saying to me, if the Beatles, you know, modern day Beatles had broken up today, they would have only started... In uh, two years, yeah, no, they would have only started in 2015 or something, right? Like that. You know what I yeah. mean. So you guys got through all of that, and we got to see, hear different sounds every album. And now you've all gone out to do, you know, your solo stuff. Can you see the DNA still in the music you're making from those boys in the garage in Newcastle?
1: Yeah, I, I think so. I think whatever it is inside of you and whatever the influences that you're listening to that inspired you to play music, I think they always sit in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. Whenever you come up with a melody or a chord progression, I think you subconsciously, you know, draw on those influences. So, yeah, look, I think I definitely think the DNA is, is still present.
2: Well, they say to never meet your musical idols. Have you ever met any of yours?
1: Yeah, I have actually. I met, um, who have I met? I had the chance to meet Jimmy Page from yeah. Led Zeppelin. Big fan of those guys. Well, they're my favorite all time band. Yeah, And James Brown. Yeah. Which was. Uh, which James was, Brown? Yeah, which was really cool.
2: <laughs> How are they? I guess they're two people who've really tasted what it is you <laughs> to, know to be like to be rock and roll to, to be, be some sort of demigod <laughs> on that kind of level <laughs> to be redlining <laughs> for 40 years yeah. <laughs> where, where you know like I can't imagine that Jimmy Page would be the type of person you want to take fishing
1: <laughs> say for example I don't know, maybe he likes doesn't mind you know maybe marlin fishing <laughs> yeah, maybe. that's his yeah. bare, that's his bare minimum <laughs> um, deadliest catch <laughs> fishing yeah <laughs> so no we had the chance to meet them at a festival somewhere in Europe and I remember we were standing like 20 meters away from them and i was just fanboying like my bottom lip was going and i was really nervous and we didn't go up to them and say yeah. hello he was with it was jimmy page and robert plant and i regretted it and then <laughs> years later we had the opportunity we we're in brazil and um kevin shirley who produced frog stomp the yeah. silver chair's frog stomp was there and he said "Do you want to meet jimmy i are like yes definitely want to meet jimmy and uh, he was just like laying around the pool. Jimmy likes young girls. Anyway, so we had two very young Brazilian girls just kind of hanging off him. And we just went and said hello. And he was really lovely. We chatted to him for 10 or 15 minutes and, and yeah. that was it. And he probably forgot all about it. Yeah. <laughs> but we were like, yes. <laughs> but um, James Brown was probably my favorite. Yeah. So I called um, Watto, John Watson. And I said, look, if you can ever use silver chair to get me to meet someone this is the guy i want to meet yeah because i'm obsessed with james brown i love him anyway i said yeah leave it with me i'll see what i can do and he hooked it all up it was at the state theater in sydney and i uh, went down to the band room i was just standing there and um he walked in with his manager and his manager came up and said right you're coming to meet this guy <laughs> and i was standing there i was so friggin' nervous the lip was going again <laughs> and anyway james brown walks up and said hello and and we chatted for a little bit and I said, oh, look, I'm a big Led Zeppelin fan, but once I really got into your music, like the whole way I played changed. And he goes, that's because you got the funk.
2: <laughs> and <then> I was <laughs>
1: like, oh, man. Thank you. If you say so. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's all I ever wanted to hear from yeah, you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, what, else, what did I say after that? Oh, that's right. And then I showed him, I've got a James Brown. Yeah, I'll show you. Yeah. So I then showed him this.
0: Yeah, for the listeners at home, this isn't a small tattoo either. <laughs> no, this is at least koi fish size. Yeah, like, it's big. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's big. So I showed him. The, I showed him the the tattoo of himself, <laughs> which one. must have been weird. And he goes, <laughs> "Oh, that makes me feel so good." <laughs> I swear to God, that's so. I thought you were
2: just about to say. He said, <laughs>
0: <"Ugh."> "And that's, <laughs> that's it." it. <laughs> God damn.
1: <laughs> yeah. So that was, uh, and then then he ended with, "I'm gonna work real hard for you tonight." And that was it. Oh, that's glorious. And I was like. You do. You have yeah, a fear yeah, yeah. that if you meet someone like that, you're going to go, oh, he's a dick. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But it was totally like out of a out of a movie, <laughs> yeah, so I was yeah. completely like happy.
0: Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, kind of. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. the great Tarantino version of James Brown. <laughs> yeah. The fact that, uh, you know, meeting old mate Jimmy Page in Brazil as well, you know, mm. I want to talk about Brazil because for years, you know, when you guys were on the road and you were, you know, obviously biggest band in australia every time you had an album came out and then you tour between them the thing that they would always say is oh you know they're also huge in south america yeah is that just an urban myth or did you guys do some big shows that was legit yeah Yeah. so there's a there's a bit of a story
1: behind that which which i didn't know of by the way Uh, again our manager john watson told me this story so i think it was the parallel importing that, you know, Australia took advantage of in the 90s. Yeah. I think it was the 90s or early 2000s. It's a crazy time. Uh, it was yeah. a crazy time. It's like Wild West. So, I think it was Sanity or, or a chain in Australia bought a ton of particular album. Oh, it was um, Neon Ballroom yeah. from Brazil. Yeah. I think it was like 40,000 albums or something crazy like that. Anyway, so the Brazilian record company didn't know that it was an Australian buyer. So, they were kind of like, oh, wow, like, this Silverchair record's going crazy in Brazil, so we're going to dump a ton of marketing behind it because it's going really well. Right. And as a result, it did blow up yeah. in Brazil, and the band went crazy. And then we ended up playing. <laughs> um,
0: so you just need to be put in front of them, is that what you're saying? Pretty much, yeah. yeah.
1: And then the band went off, and we played Rock and Rio with like the Chili Peppers, yeah. and had an amazing gig there. And ever since, like, yeah, we've just had this really incredible presence in in Brazil.
0: Was there any other secret kind of dark horse markets that you didn't expect?
1: Um, Germany was a bit... It went really well in Germany... Yeah, we yeah, did really well there. It was
0: the time before,
2: you know, you had these computer analytics where you, you can see where people are streaming your music. Really. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah you don't you have just the see data. Where the tickets were selling back then. Yeah, you just, yeah.
1: They just put it out and hope that people buy yeah, it. Well, yeah,
2: well, it's like we had this bloke who used to play the pubs around here. He learnt that he was really big in Ireland through all, all that data, so he moved over there and he's enjoying a career <laughs> as like a mid-level, <laughs> like he's able to live and work as a musician. Awesome. Yeah amazing. but just in Ireland. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like every time I've tried to go to Scotland or England they'd just like
0: turn off this fucking Celtic just, rubbish. Yeah, it's just Irish <laughs> expats. Irish expats come to his Scotland yeah. gigs. Yeah.
1: Well, it's kind of like... Uh, remember the story? Is it Sugar Man? Remember that, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that documentary? Yeah, yeah. You know, like, you just don't know where... Rodriguez. is. Going... Yeah, yeah. yeah. You just yeah. don't know where there's going to be pockets of fans. Mm-hmm. Like, you know?
0: Yeah, Germany's an interesting one. But I suppose Germany was um, enjoying rock music, I guess, for the first time. You know, oh, like they it was, love it. It was Half their first of decade of the wall being down and they had to stay out all night.
1: You know, what? I've got a good story of Germany. Mm-hmm. Speaking of... Well, I was thinking of the whole Beatlemania thing. So, we were on tour... Through Europe, and we always seemed it we were bumping into the Backstreet Boys yeah, yeah. Right. everywhere. Like we'd we be like we'd see the Backstreet Boys, and we're like, because what happens <laughs> in <laughs> airports? Damn it, the Backstreet Boys! Oh, they're back! Backstreet <laughs> Boys are back! <laughs>
0: Backstreet's back!
1: <laughs> Backstreet's back! <laughs>
2: <laughs> They've got no luggage. Yeah. They've got no instruments. <laughs> right.
1: So, and you know what, they, what? one thing that really irked me, and this is a newy thing, right? Like, don't like pump up your own tires. They'd wear their own like. Right bomber jackets oh, yeah right. their own merch uh, totally yeah, and they're yeah. they going like dudes what are you doing <laughs> yeah. yeah like that's your head is just way too it's yeah. way oversized yeah anyway so we can um, only
2: do that if you play for the knights <laughs> yeah, yeah no yeah. way you get
1: crucified <laughs> like we just saw them everywhere but anyway we pull up to this hotel in hamburg anyway there's girls everywhere and we were like oh wow there's some like people here to see us like they're all excited they see the two of us come up and we're like okay here we go and the door opens and they see like Dan Chris and I and they're like
0: Oh <laughs> who, are th- who are these guys <laughs> They are ex- expecting The blonde bon- part yeah, hair totally, Nick yeah. Carter <laughs> yeah.
1: So th- But then we realised That uh, we found out later They were staying At the same hotel And we were oh. like It's fucking Backstreet Boys <laughs> <Yeah>. again
0: <laughs>
1: but, but these All these girls That were running around They had this Some like German like Girly magazine Yeah And then Within about half an hour A couple of the girls You could see them There was a rock section yeah. About <laughs> midway through A couple of them Looking through, going, hang on, look, there was an article in there about us, and they're like, "Hey, this looks like, this looks like those guys." Yeah. So they started kind of going, "Oh, well, great, we'll get you to sign this and get photos." And they're we going, "You have no idea who we are." Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. We're just kind of riding the wave of Backstreet Boys. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this era of kind of Channel V, Triple J, Big Day Out. That was a big kind of moment in Australian music and kind of pop culture history. Mm. You guys were kind of steering that ship to a degree. You probably, you know, uh, not to Newcastle, gash your Newcastle ties up too much, but you guys were I thought you were of,
1: <laughs> referencing the Pashibalka there. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: what was that like in, in those days when it was really, you know, Australian rock and it became quite a big export around the world? Yeah. And, you know?
1: I don't know it just felt like you were part of like a big Australian music family yeah, yeah. like everyone was really supportive of each other and yeah it was just like a movement mm. like we just felt like we were all part of it.
2: I guess you know the high water mark of that era you know as they say where the rave rolled up the beach got to the highest point and came back that highest point would be like your wave aids. <laughs> Something like that, you know. That's where Australian music peaked. <laughs> what the,
0: what the, the mega charity festivals? Yeah, <laughs> I
1: do have to say, Wave was pretty special.
0: Was yeah. that the one where they did? Uh, they had that mega band covering Evie. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, that was uh, the rights. And yeah, then, yeah. And then, yeah. Then, then it was all
2: you know. You had Jet. You had Cram up there, and then all of them left, and then Big Bernie just came up and belted up the second part, yeah. and then just left. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's like, thanks, guys. That's the rock and roll. Yeah.
0: <laughs> that, that was an interesting time because it was when we were all, we had your pop culture TV. You had your Channel V, I guess. And that, everyone un- underestimates how big that was in like the king making. Yeah. And then you had the Js. So <laughs> basically, it was two channels. They didn't have your Spotify. I don't even know if we had the fucking LimeWires or music pirating no, it, yet. It was no. the, the age of Chug. They were just... Yeah. Big yeah, tours.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Big well, tours. I think, I mean, if you, even if you take a step back from that, I think think, think about like the TV hits. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. I think there are segments in, you know, musical, the way we consume it. Mm. You know, I guess just at the moment it's like, I mean, I, I really like Spotify and, and Apple Music because mm. you can just, you want to hear a song, it's just instant. Yeah. 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 You know, which is great. There's a bit of romance that I miss.
0: Yeah, and there's a, there's not a real tide rising together. It's all a bunch of microcultures as well. You can listen to whatever your genre is at any time, and you know maybe those kind of artists that would once be frontlining Australian music are, yeah. are kind of looking for their audiences, and and it's getting a bit niche for them.
1: Yeah, I think I think across the board, it's like yeah. that. Unless you're a mega artist, yeah, yeah, it's like that data. Like you know, people just focusing in on those people that want to hear your music, which is good. I mean. You know, you're getting served up stuff that supposedly, you
0: know, they know you're gonna like it. Yeah. But
1: you know, the music discovery is also a lot harder. Yeah. I Find.
0: Yeah. It's funny though. I think those algorithms, Netflix kind of pioneered this. Those mm-hmm. algorithms are actually being found to, you know, there's a bit of fatigue. Like Netflix started. Remember, House of Cards was a great one, a great yeah. example of it. They looked at the data and they said our audiences want to see more spacey. They want more political thrillers. And they want more. They, they really lent, this. lent into that. Yeah.
1: That yeah. like this is obviously a popular genre, yeah. so yeah. we're going to really
0: serve yeah, it up and, to and, them. And they gave it to them based on what they wanted. Mm. Yeah. And that was great for that for that TV series. But I actually think there has been a bit of fatigue, and yeah. I think people actually do like having something presented to them. Yeah, uh, they always will. That's refreshing that they've never had anything to do with, and they can learn to love as opposed to just like, oh, this feels familiar. Yeah, yeah, hundred mm-hmm.
1: percent. I think that's happening across the board with a lot of stuff, including music. It's like you know, if you like hot dogs and you eat hot dogs all day every day, mm-hmm. like eventually you're gonna go. Mm. Wouldn't mind some sushi. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I think the point that you're making about how it's making musical discovery a bit harder. I mean, like on Spotify the other day, you know, you listen to Seven Nation Army once and for the next two weeks that app is force feeding you (laughs) the strokes and just that for two weeks until you get... To the point where it's like... Might put on some Gwen Stefani, actually. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) I'm going to listen to some brass band stuff to really fuck this algorithm up. Yeah, yeah. What the hell do I give him now? You just go like... Sky music. (laughs) Then you go down that rabbit hole. Circus music?
1: You know, really, really mess with it.
0: Well, what is influencing you? Is that how it's, you know, early days in the chair, you guys were obviously Zeppelins and grunge was what you were feeling and kind of working with what would you say is influencing you now on your solo stuff or do you feel like you're a different musician now where you're kind of working with what you have as opposed to what's kind of you're exposed to
1: yeah I, I feel like it's more like that yeah. yeah you kind of you get enough experience that you can just go into the studio and just create what you want to create mm. you know where I do think when you're a younger musician that you definitely draw on those influences mm. but I don't know I just it's that back to that thing we were chatting about earlier about like if I'm sitting in a piano and I hear a sequence of chords that I really like and I start singing a melody over the top of it and I like it. Like I'm not thinking about an artist or a particular yeah. song or anything. It just it just pops into your mind and you like it and that's it.
0: Yeah. So on the stereo, uh has been described as a synth driven earworm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Certainly is. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been working with uh, Constantine Kirsten. That's right. How was that and what kind of created this? Um, well, I just really liked what Con
1: did with uh, the Jungle Giants mm-hmm. in particular. And he, oh, he worked with Tones and I as mm-hmm. well. And she's obviously, you know, she's been had some she- really good you know. tracks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just my publisher. Simon Morse, he put a couple of um, producers in front of me and Con was one of them. He suggested I go and work with him. Reached out to their guys and, um, yeah, he was into the track. So I showed him a couple of tracks, but that was the one on the stereo, the one that we both thought, you know, would best use some
0: of his skills. Mm -hmm. Well, it's out. It's already out. May 6th it came out and there's more to come from you. We're working towards an EP, aren't we? We do. There's a couple more singles in the
1: pipeline. I'm really. There's another. I won't tell you what it's called yet. But the next single, I'm really excited about it. It's really different to everything that I've ever done, and I don't even know why I'm talking about it. I should be talking about it on the stereo, <laughs> yeah. which, I'm, which I'm also very excited about. You know, yeah. I'm going to stop right there. No, on the stereo, good to, it's listen good to, to see. it. There's
0: a lot of pots on the stove, mate. It's good to see Ben Gillies. You still got it. It's out there, as we just said. In this day and age, you can find it in a minute on the stereo. Tune in and thanks for joining us, Ben. We got through this whole thing without mentioning Housewives. Yeah, no, that's my <laughs> wife's thing. We, let's just keep talking about music. Yeah.
2: We can save that for part two. <laughs> thanks for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Thanks,